0: Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I'm joined by Karen Orsi, Director of the Oklahoma Mental Health and Aging Coalition, who is here to provide advice to parents on caring for the mental health of our aging relatives. Thanks so much for
1: being here, Karen. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm very glad to be here and to share this information. Uh, Because it's important to all of us, uh, regardless of our age. We know we all interact with older adults. We all know older adults. We all love older adults. And besides that, we're all aging. So this is about us.
0: Absolutely. I am looking forward to learning from you today. And as we get started, Karen, um, we were just talking about how so many parents, me included, Are finding themselves in this unique position of caring for our children, and also caring for or beginning to care for aging parents or grandparents. It can be demanding on our time caring for all of these people, but it's also can be pretty hard emotionally. I'd like to start by getting your advice for how parents can acknowledge both the challenge and the beauty of this unique position of caregiving and also making sure we're taking time to care for ourselves
1: too. Well, caregiving is rewarding, but it's exhausting. And that duality needs to be faced. Um, People, you need to determine what you can do, what your resources are, what your time is like, uh, what, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses and identify where you need more help. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to be feeling overwhelmed. I mean, that just goes with the territory. Uh, but the fact remains that there are a lot of resources out there. It's perfectly acceptable and understandable that even Superman and Wonder Woman get tired sometimes I need a break. Uh, so reach out to the available caregiver resources. There's a wonderful network here in Oklahoma. Now, it's not going to solve all people's issues and problems, but it is a resource to help you feel supported and help you get the help you need. So don't think that you're alone. Um, there are many others that are sharing your journey to include the highs, the lows, the detours, the speed bumps. Uh, so the main thing I can advise is just to get connected. And I know that's easy to say when you're not a caregiver because caregivers time is very sparse and very limited. But you've got to take care of yourself. Um, national re- the national research shows statistics that caregiver, the caregiver population itself has a high rate of depressive symptoms. We've got to change that. So we need to support our caregiver population more, and caregivers need to be able to access the resources they can care for themselves more and better.
0: Thank you for that affirmation. As we jump off, Karen, I think it's so important for us to recognize that it is hard. Caregiving is hard. Um, Like you said, it can be very rewarding, too, and that in order to be the best caregivers that we want to be we've got to take that time um, to ask for help and take care of ourselves so that for me that's always a great reminder that it's okay to ask for help
1: right and it, to, in my perception it's a twofer if we lose our caregiver that means the person receiving care is not going to get quality care or not going to get care at all so we need to support our caregivers
0: And that's part of what you are here to help us with today, um, kind of to walk through all of the resources that are available and share your expert advice with us. So let's talk first about what is ageism? What are some key indicators that could help us recognize that ageism is either happening around us or that perhaps we ourselves are guilty of it? And how do we work together to reduce ageism in the community and in our homes?
1: Well, first of all, um, we shouldn't be feeling too guilty about ageism because it's systematic. It's all around us. It's part of our everyday life. We learn it from day one in kindergarten. So first make make that statement, but we do need to change it. Um, we do need not just to let it stay there. So ageism, ageism is not just black balloons on a 40th birthday or not aging well um, versus in a greeting card. It's not just people being too sensitive about remarks. Uh, ageism is dangerous. And it's as dangerous as all the other isms, the racism, the sexism. However, not all of us are going to experience racism or sexism, but we are all going to experience ageism. Mm. So this is something that is very personal for all of us. Um, ageism is defined as a form of discrimination and prejudice and it's directed at older adults where societal norms make them feel unwanted. Um, treat them with disrespect, make them feel unwelcome, incompetent, invisible. I mean, ageism is really ugly uh, and it has an impact. And like all other uh, isms, it is systematic and it surrounds us. To reduce it, we first have to recognize it and then challenge it. So that is the basic message is that when we see ageism, we challenge ageism.
0: What are some ways that Parents could talk with our kids about what ageism is and think about as a family how can we challenge ageism in our own everyday
1: lives? Well, first, what we can do is to change our language. <clears throat> uh, we are needing to be more sensitive and more friendly towards people. And some of the language that we currently use is very popular. Uh, It didn't start out to be um, disrespectful, but over the years, it's got a lot of baggage. So Mm. think about it. When you say the word elderly, what comes to mind? Mm. Uh, For a lot of times, you think somebody with a cane, Mm -hmm. a lot of medications, uh, somebody bent over. Now think of the word older adult. Mm. Isn't that a different perception in your mind's eye? So that's the first thing we do is get change some of those words. Don't talk about the frail. Don't talk about the elderly. Let's talk about older adults, older Oklahomans, older Americans. Let's talk about us how we would like to be represented. Uh, another thing, as you probably heard a lot of the thing, there's a silver tsunami coming. Well, when you hear the word tsunami, uh, what do you? You throw your hands up and go, I can't do anything about that. We're all doomed. Well, that's not the case. There are a lot of policies that can be done. There could be friendly age-friendly communities. There's much we can do to challenge ages. And so we wanna get rid of that uh, silver tsunami language. We wanna say there's changing demographics. And in fact, probably in about another 10, 15 years, older adults are going to outnumber children for the first time in our history. So we need to make those changes. And then we need to maybe have some conversations about what's going on now, all the um, baggage that goes along with the chronological age. Uh, now you and I probably both know people who are 45 uh, that seem old, maybe their physical body or their experiences has just beat them down. At the same time, you know, people that are 75 or 80, they're still working and vibrant. So we really know that chronological age is meaningless yet we attach so much to it. Uh, and think about just a, just kind of a, a silly example of a, a woman who colors her hair. And she says, well, when I was young, I colored my hair because it was fun. Now I color my hair because I'm afraid what my colleagues will think of me. Mm. If I have gray hair, does that diminish my quality? Does that make me less competent? Does that make what I say less believable because of gray hair? So, I mean, think about, but I said it's systematic. Um, think about your um, human resources why can't they ask how old you are? Because when you give that number, there's baggage attached to it. How come we can't ask a woman how old she is? Because when she gives that number, there's baggage attached to it. And we live in an anti-aging society. So those are just some of the things we can do. And we can you know, start working with the kids is being more respectful to people, changing language. Um, so you know, that's, that's a, a big part of what's happening right now. There's a national effort to reframe the aging message and get rid of these perceptions that aging is a disease itself. And that um, it's inevitable as you age, that you're gonna decline, you're gonna be unhappy, you're gonna be depressed, you're gonna be sick, you're gonna be frail, you're gonna be lonely. That's far from the case, those are all myths. But yet that's the society we live in, an anti-aging society. And aging is inevitable. And aging begins at birth. So we need to really be tuned into this because it's not about them, it's about us. Because we're all going there, hopefully.
0: That is so powerful and what great ideas that we can all incorporate into our homes and with our kids so that hopefully as, as they age, they will have a better framework, better language. And I, I often feel very confident that my kids and their generation are really going to change the world for the better. So I love the idea of starting now with them.
1: Yeah, and if, you're, and if you're going to be an aging advocate, you've also got to be a younger person advocate, uh, because what's good for young people means that they are going to be healthier as they age. And right now, we we, we have a number of uh, people that are aging into Medicare with numerous physical and mental problems. We want to change that. So, again, you know, to, to be an aging advocate, you've got to be a young person advocate, a kid advocate, um, you know, so that we have the whole continuum of people that get the get the help that they need and can age as healthy as possible.
0: Absolutely. Karen, for our aging relatives, ageism is certainly a factor that can play into diminishing mental health. What else do we need to be aware of among this population that can be the root causes of mental health challenges?
1: Well, first of all, ageism is not just about people on the outside or people in your neighborhood. Uh, Our professionals, also have ageism because it's systematic there. It's surrounded by it. So when we talk about professionals, for instance, um, ageism can put them at risk because if you are someone who believes that that description I gave before that a condition or a symptom like depression or unhappiness um, is just a normal part of aging, you're not going to screen for it, which means somebody's not going to get treatment. That's one thing. Um, which is very important. Now, in terms of mental uh, health conditions and mental health disorders, genes play a part, biology, brain chemistry, family history, it all increases the risk for developing a disorder. But there's other factors that are involved that are very important to include chronic diseases, the medications prescribed to treat them, and life experiences to include traumatic events and even adapting to the aging body and aging brain. So those are all factors that impacted. And additionally, we know that non-connectedness and loneliness uh, negatively impact, not just your mental health, but also your physical health. The research has shown that the, the loneliness impacts your physical health just as badly as it does your mental health. So that's another situation that we need to look at is connectedness. And then there's self-ageism. Uh, we talked about systematic ageism, Well, when a person believes all this stuff that surrounds them and believes that they're supposed to be sick, they're supposed to be in pain, they're supposed to be lonely. There is no hope for them. But when they believe that, then they're not going to seek help, and they're not going to share symptoms with their family members, with their doctor, with their therapist. Uh, which means, again, they're they're not going to get they're not going to get help. They're not going to share their emotions, their physical health, their their mental health needs. Um, but I've got to say that there are fewer older adults with mental health issues than younger people. However, and this is a big however it impacts more profoundly. Because Mm -hmm. of the aging brain and the aging body, uh, the the mental health impact is much more severe on an aging person than it is on a younger person. And I'm not trying to diminish it for everyone, but I also don't wanna make it sound like that everybody that's older is going to develop a mental health disorder. We know that's not true. So again, there are fewer people, but the impact is more profound. And that's why it's just so very important that we raise the bar and we pay much more attention to the mental health of our of our um, aging population, our, our own mental health. So what are some
0: of those symptoms that we need to be aware of that could indicate that our older loved ones are
1: struggling with their mental health? Well, first of all, when, when it comes to uh, aging, depression and anxiety are the most common uh, disorders mm-hmm. and they usually occur together. Mm-hmm. Usually if someone has depressive symptoms or also has some anxiety symptoms and vice versa. And now that doesn't really matter to us, our people on the call, because we're not diagnosticians. We're not doing treatment plans or doing medication or any of that kind of stuff. So uh, basically what we need to do is to recognize people in distress. Some of the symptoms is, um, now depression is not just a bad couple of days uh, or feeling blue or being discouraged, And even a mild depression for an older adult can be dangerous, much more dangerous than a younger person because it affects everything. Uh, Depression in an older adult can affect their sleep, their nutrition, their exercise, their chronic disease self-management, medication compliance, medication absorption, mobility and memory. Uh, untreated depression can worsen chronic disease symptoms and then it's gonna increase your healthcare costs. So again, even a mild depression can have a huge impact Uh, And now symptoms present differently in older adults than they do in younger people. So we like to think that, well, maybe we can tell who's depressed. You know, they're sitting in the corner crying or sobbing. Well, that's not the case with older adults. Sometimes an older adult will show depressive symptoms in sadness or even crying, but for the most part, um, many exhibit depressive symptoms, aches and pains, Mm -hmm. not sadness and crying, which again makes things difficult and complex because older bodies, have aches and pains. So, and we need, again, we need to pay attention. Uh, We need to ask questions. Another telling symptom is a loss of interest in activities that a person previously enjoyed. You know, mom used to like to go out and um, go to the church social and play bingo, and now she's not going. Or dad used to go to coffee with the guys, and now he's staying home. Now, there may be legitimate reasons people are doing that, but if it's, a, if it's a response of, well, I just don't feel like it, or I didn't wanna go, or not today, and that goes on for a period of time, then that's kind of a red flag. We need to ask more questions. It may just not be a, a rainy day they don't wanna go out to. It may just be because they're, they're losing interest. Uh, some other symptoms or changes in appetite or sleep, restlessness and increased use of substances. Now, sleep is a big issue. Because we know as people age, their sleep changes, melatonin and all that kind of technical stuff happens, but sleep does change. And yet, sleep is an indicator of so many things. It can indicate you know, cognitive issues, it can indicate physical issues, it can indicate mental health issues. So again, getting old is complex. There's a, there's a lot going on there. Uh, and additionally, an older person may not acknowledge feeling depressed. Many advanced age people, if you ask them if they're depressed, they're gonna say no. However, they may share that they're feeling blue or sad or empty. That's a big one, feeling empty. Uh, But we need to remember too is that, uh, again, we're not talking about a bad day or a disappointing day. We're talking about symptoms that maybe go on for over two weeks time. That's a key indicator too, that it's not just a a flash. It's going on for a period of time. Uh, It's very important uh, for our older adult population to, to get screenings to get mental health screenings for depression because a screening for depression can show the level of depressive symptoms. And again, we're not diagnosticians, but if you can get a screening, um, a depression screening, you can know what's the next steps in. Is this, there is a very mild and manageable depression that maybe if a person became more active, their symptoms would could be resolved or they're diminished or even disappear, or is this a situation where the depressive symptoms are pretty severe And we need need mental health professional assessment and treatment. And maybe there's even some suicidal risk. So again, a screening is very important. Uh, we're we're, We're in a position to recognize distress and then help a person get the help they need. It is so
0: helpful to have kind of that foundation. And like you said, I think so important to recognize that depression and even anxiety can look really different for older individuals than, than it it might for the folks in my age group and the parent age group. So we're not going to be experiencing depression or anxiety the same way that potentially our parents or grandparents might.
1: And we need to remember too, that we're, we're living in a society and a world that's very stressful Mm -hmm. and anxiety and anxiety, and maybe even depressive symptoms is somewhat normal at this point in time with everything that's going on or surrounding us.
0: Karen, one of the things I was really shocked to hear is that the suicide rate among people ages 65 and over is especially high. In fact, it's the second highest age group in Oklahoma. Um, That was for 2022 in deaths by suicide. What do you attribute this to? And again, what do we need to know about suicidal thoughts among this age group?
1: Well, actually, according to the violent um, death reporting system, older adults are actually the highest rate Mm. of any age group. And of course, men outnumber women. And I say that, of course, because for every age group, it's like 3.5 to 3.9, almost four to one in terms of male suicides to female suicides. And uh, curiously enough, white men over the age of 85 have the highest rate of anybody any ethnic group, any age group, any, any anything. And suicide is more lethal in later life than any other time in the lifespan. And uh, unfortunately, firearms are uh, on the increase and in firearms have been used in 70% of older adult suicides. Uh, there are at least 50% of other age groups but for older adults, at least 70. And that does explain part of the high suicide rate is the fact that uh, older adults are more lethal Hmm. Using firearms and having an older body, you're not and you're not going to recover. And even other suicide attempts, uh, a, an eighty year old body is not going to recover from a suicide attempt like a forty year old body will. Uh, also, um, older adults are sometimes isolated, so someone's not going to find them. Uh, there and there are other several circumstances that we can talk about. there's there when we talk about suicide, um, there's always several circumstances. That contribute to a suicide. It's not just one thing. Uh, we don't just think, you know, if, if a young person dies by suicide, uh, and maybe they were bullied in school. It's not just the bullying. There are other factors going on, many times that we don't see, and some of those could be um, family history factors. Um, but the fact remains is that when we talk about older adults, the top three circumstances for older Oklahomans were physical health, mental health, and depressed mood. So that's our key. We've got two things we need to look at. As we have an older adult with a lot of physical health problems, that's a red flag that we need to pay more attention. Uh, an older adult with mental health problems, that's a red flag. We need to pay more attention because we know those are the top three circumstances. And again, other things will contribute. And so it's different for different age groups. So if, you know, for younger people um, or young adults or middle-aged adults, there may be relationship problems that contribute. Maybe they would be a, a circumstance. Now for older adults, not so much not relationship problems. But then again, younger people, you're not gonna see physical health problems. But uh, many times, uh, the vast majority of times that the mental health, mental illness is somehow connected as a circumstance for a suicide. But now with that said, uh, one in four or one of five of us in our lifetime are gonna develop a mental health disorder and yet we're not going to be uh, suicidal. We're not gonna die by suicide. So we have to make that distinction too. Suicide and mental health are connected but it's not an A equals B. It's mm-hmm. not a definite connection. Uh, and as we age, um, it's natural for your social circles to shrink, you know, when you retire, and maybe uh, maybe mobility, you start staying home more, quit doing things. And uh, that kind of loss of connectedness can result in feelings of loneliness and non-belonging. And we know that uh, we need to pay attention to our primary primary care. And really urge that there be more screenings done there Uh, because we know that mental health and suicide screenings for people with chronic diseases would be a protective factor and because we know that there's an association between the increased number of chronic diseases and suicide there's all different kinds of association between for instance parkinson's and alzheimer's and suicide so when again when people have physical disorders or physical um, situations we need to pay attention we need to uh, engage them and talk about it and and get them screened at the time of diagnosis and following. So now, while most older adults are resilient, uh, many older adults maintain a bootstraps mentality. They are stoic. Uh, they are strong. They take care of themselves. However, that means they don't ask for help. And in particular, they don't ask for mental health help. They don't really have positive um, Feelings, information about things like treatment and recovery that are that younger people do because they're that's their environment. So uh, we need to know that, um, COVID, COVID is pretty much normalized and spotlighted, that we are or easily can be stressed, overwhelmed, and feeling that we're living in a constant state of disruption. And that has produced a nation of people with mental health needs. So it's not just our older adult population. We're all uh, pretty much stressed out. And and that's maybe a silver cloud uh, or silver lining from COVID. Uh, With all the disastrous things that have happened with COVID, it has put a spotlight on mental health and on people asking for help and taking care of our health. So that's a message we'd like to get across to our older population that are not familiar with treatment and recovery is that treatment works. People can and do recover every day. And research has shown that older adults recover from things like depression and anxiety at a, at a higher rate or equal rate to younger people. So we want people to acknowledge the fact that it's okay to ask for help. Uh, and it's okay to take care of your brain just like you take care of your body. And it's very natural as we age to focus on the neck down. But we've got gotta focus on the neck up because you can't have your physical health without your mental and vice versa because it all happens in the same body.
0: Karen, you've walked us through some signs and symptoms and things we need to be aware of, um, which brings us to the next point of having those conversations with our older relatives. And that can be really hard as the child or grandchild to initiate conversations when you have concerns about an older relative's mental health. How can we navigate these conversations with care and make it okay to talk about mental health?
1: Well, you're right. Talking about mental health is always difficult. Um, And I would suggest things like caring, caring statements. How are you feeling? What are you feeling? Uh, You seem worried or sad or mad. I've noticed you don't seem like yourself. Is something bothering you? Um, You don't need to feel like this. Now, the important thing is we're not going to say you shouldn't feel like this or, oh, just wait, it'll be better tomorrow. Uh, Those are the things we don't want to do. But we want to acknowledge that people might be feeling sad, might be feeling bad and then talking about it. And you might need to remember that we've got to be persistent because we do have an advanced age group that doesn't do mental health (laughs) and and believes in taking care of their own. so we, we would also be saying things like, um, would you like to talk about, can you talk with me about it? Um, would you like to feel better? Can I help you get some help? Just all kinds of caring um, statements, but we want to stay away from those statements that are definitive statements, like uh, why are you acting this way? Or why are you feeling that way? Or did you take your medication? That's why you're not, to, you know, we don't want to do those kind of, um, well, think about when you were a kid or a young adult, you didn't like when people told you what to do, <laughs> People you didn't like when people told you what you're feeling. So it's the same kind of situation uh, it, we don't want we don't want people to think that we are directing their life. We're supporting their life. So again, my suggestion would be that it's going to be difficult. You're going to f- might feel uncomfortable, but that's what you probably should be feeling. but to, to ask questions with care, I care about you. I'm worried about you. I want you to feel better. Want you to enjoy things more, I would go that route um, and be very careful, you know, about your definitive statements. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, this conversation with an older person, they may feel threatened, and they may feel threatened because their experience has been if they disclose anything is wrong, they may lose their independence. Mm. And they may have seen that several times, you know, Mary down the street. Well, Mary was having some issues and the family didn't know what to do. So Mary got sent off somewhere. So Mary's now in an assisted living center or Mary's now in the nursing home. So that's their experience, that's what they've seen. So they're they're gonna be very close about saying anything is wrong because if anything is wrong, uh, that shows weakness. And if that that weakness may mean that you lose your home, you lose your neighborhood. Uh, which is the last thing in the world we want for people to, to, to do or to feel. So we want to assure people that seeking help is not a weakness or proof that they just can't manage anymore. Seeking help is something that we all should do. And hey, I'm willing to help you seek help. Let's find a way to help you feel better. And that could be seeking some sort, seeking some resources, seeking some professional help. Um, uh, research has also shown this is a very popular thing called Behavior activation, which is really very simple. just more like move move more, feel better. Finding something that someone would like to do and helping them do it. That can reduce depressive symptoms, improve a person's mood. So there's all kinds of things we can do uh, to just help someone. First of all, recognize they're in distress and then help them get the help that they need. And sometimes we can be the help that they need.
0: I I think sometimes we forget the power in, like you said, moving more, helping ensure that folks are getting physical exercise or recognizing, um, loss that they may have had, whether it's friend, family member, or even just the loss of a job through retirement and how that loss and grief, um, We might think that some of our older family members experience that a lot and they do, but then I think we forget to ask, how are you doing after that? And how are you feeling about that?
1: Right, right. Those are are very important questions. How are you feeling?
0: It sounds like you are also encouraging us to listen, ask those open-ended questions. And really make space for that
1: intentional listening. And again, we don't want to be directive. Uh, I know I'm tired of hearing we all need to eat better and exercise more. Okay, well, don't just tell somebody to eat better and exercise more. Say, "Let's let's go for a walk. I'll go with you. Or let's plan the menu. I'll take you to the grocery store. I can help you make that. I can help you make that and we can freeze some. But that's the kind of thing is to be supportive, not just not just directive on what you should do this. I'll help you do this. And for some and for some older adults that have some uh, maybe mobility issues or arthritis issues, that could be very welcoming. That could be what, what is needed. Again, we have a lot of power. Um, and it's not just having a, a diploma on the wall behind you with a bunch of alphabet soup after your name. Uh, We have a a lot of power just being our human contact. And and I can't stress how much uh, connectedness is important for people as they age, to stay connected, be connected. So another thing we can do is if if you know someone that's not connected, let's help them get connected. Again, find something that they're interested in and help them do it.
0: I think it can feel um, overwhelming oftentimes if you have older loved ones who live far away. Um, to feel like you don't have that, you can't be there physically. Um, Can you give us some good suggestions of how um, parents and kids could connect with grandparents or older relatives who
1: do live far away? Well, we are very fortunate to have uh, our our technology. Uh, Now, technology is very dependent on things like having broadband and having internet uh, and it's easy, for for instance, for us to use technology because they have an IT department we can talk to. So many people don't. So those are issues in, in people um, getting connected. But there are other ways that we can do things besides Zooming, um, which would be excellent. But even the, you know, the iPhones, just about everybody's got an iPhone or a smartphone at this point in time. And older adults are pretty capable of learning how to do things like texting. Uh, that could be an option, and for especially for people that are having um, hearing issues, that could be very helpful. Uh, there are some resources out there that I'm not that familiar with all the resources there are, but there are several out there that really promote technology in, in people's homes so that far away caregiving is possible. You know, technology that will, um, you know, like Alexa or Siri, uh, remind people to take medication or to eat a meal or things of that sort. So there are some resources out there, but most of them are revolving around technology. Really, really helpful, Karen, thank you. I, I would also suggest for kids, uh, get kids back in the um, habit, that there used to be a habit way back when, of uh, writing notes, mm-hmm. sending cards, drawing pictures. Uh, just that kind of connection with a an out of state or out of country parent or grandparent could could be very helpful. Again, just keep people connected. Uh, and the the, the the value of the connection is the connection itself. It's not the perfect activity or it's not the beautiful frame drawing. It's just a drawing. I thought of you. I cared about you. I did this for you. That's perfect.
0: Karen, tell us more about how 988 specifically can be a resource for those of us who are caring for aging family members, or even when we just have some concerns about the mental health of older family members.
1: No, 988 is a fantastic resource. Uh, If people don't know about it, please take time right now to write it down, put it in your phones. There's options for people to text. There's options in different languages. Um, 988 is a resource that uh, that is is nationwide, but our Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services is is, um, really the sponsor here in Oklahoma. It's a resource for all Oklahomans, for all situations. It's a crisis line, a suicide prevention line, a resource line, a connection line. If you don't know what to do, uh, or you don't know how to do it, how to get help, call 988. And a trained behavioral health responder will link you to the right resources and the right services. It's for anyone experiencing or witnessing a mental health crisis, and for anyone who needs support for things like depression, anxiety, sadness, loneliness, or grief. And remember to call 988 for yourself. Uh, 988 is just not for us doing for somebody else. 988 for us, if you don't know what to do, if you're feeling bogged down with your caregiving responsibilities, if you don't know where to go, what to do, who to call, call 988, they can connect you. Uh, And This is not in competition, for instance, with the 911 that we are aware of. 911, we're talking more physical. We're talking physical. 988, we're talking emotional. We're talking mental health. Um, we're talking a lot of times about just people needing support, needing direction. So, if you would call 988, for instance, maybe you're needing something in regards to housing or food or nutrition, then they will connect you. Uh, they'll connect you to the 211 series and all, and all of the options that are there. So, again, remember to use 988. It's, it's only a little over a year uh, old. And it has um, answered so many calls and probably saved so many lives. And it's much more involved in what I'm telling you for people that have some very, um, very, for instance, serious crises. There will be a team, if necessary, a team will go out to that person. A team can provide transportation to wherever they need to go, a crisis center or whatever. They'll follow up with appointments. So it's a, it's a, Wonderful system, it's uh, supporting continuum of care, and I would advise you if you don't know about it, put it in your phone, write it down, tell your friends, Uh, 988 is, is awesome.
0: It absolutely is, and I um, I think it's so important to reiterate what you said about you can call it for yourself if you are in a crisis or you are just have concerns about your own mental health, and you can call it on, or text on behalf of somebody else. So any of these signs or symptoms that we've talked about today, for our listeners, if you are noticing those in your aging family members and you're not sure kind of what the next steps are. Call or text 988 and they will get you connected um, to if if your loved one needs a mental health assessment, if they need help right then and there. um, There's kind of a whole continuum of care that's provided through 988 um, and is a great resource for any of the topics that we've discussed today. Great. Karen, as we close out our conversation today, what is your top piece of advice for parent listeners in understanding this changing relationship with our aging parents or grandparents and how to best support their mental health moving forward?
1: I would say, well, first of all, we to focus on engagement. Uh, don't just assume that because grandma's sitting over there in the corner, she wants to be by herself. Let's go over and talk to grandma. Um, Focus on engagement, remember resilience. Older adults are resilient. That's very contrary to what society says and our anti-aging society wants you to believe that older adults are frail and needy when in fact they're strong and resilient. And remember connectedness and support. You know, I'll say those things over and over, engagement, resilience, and connectedness. Um, An older adult may feel like a burden now you're in caregiving situations, so you may hear that where they feel like a burden. Reassure them that's not the case. Uh, you know, and you can be frank with them and tell them, yeah, it's problematic sometimes, it's hard sometimes, but it's not a burden. Uh, engage, talk, initiate conversations, stay connected, try to help them find other connections, support their autonomy. Again, don't give directives. Uh, or, I know what's best for you, you need to do this support their autonomy, um, and provide choices, allow decision-making. For the most part, older adults are very competent people. They can make good decisions for themselves, but a lot of times they need the correct information and some resources to do so. So that's what we wanna do is allow cho- You know, offer choices, let people make their own decisions. Uh, and one thing that's, that's really getting more and more popular, which is very important, is that rather than always going around saying, what's the matter? Let's say, what matters? Hmm. Find out what matters to that person, not what's wrong with them. You know, we do that a lot with, with with trauma now. Talking about trauma, not saying what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. That's what's important. So again, what matters is really what we want to focus on. Now, one characteristic of aging is that resilience that's been developed over decades of experience. When I mean, we're talking about somebody who's in their eighties, that's eight decades of different experiences. And for some of our older adults, some of those experiences have been horrific. All the war, the war, the wars they've been through. Uh, if you've got someone who, someone who is over a hundred, that means they were a toddler during the, the the Tulsa race massacre. That has to have had impact on their life. So many people have been through some very traumatic things, and they have some some resilience characteristic that they developed. But sometimes you need to be reminded of how of your resilience, and reminded how strong you are. Remember when you're in turmoil. That's not the best time you're going to sit down and, and put make a list of your strengths and weaknesses. When you're in turmoil, you're in turmoil. So a lot of times you need people to kind of remind you how strong you are. Help you remember how you coped with something in the past, how you felt about something in the past. Help people remember how strong they are. Help them recall and use their coping skills. Or sometimes you are going to develop new coping skills. You know, as life goes on, um, And many times our our bucket of coping skills has got a hole in it and it drains out. So sometimes we've got to replenish it. Sometimes our coping skills aren't working like they used to or else we've been slam bam with so many things that the coping skills just aren't working. So we might need to develop some new coping skills. Uh, But we want to avoid an ageism trap. And that ageism trap is over and underreacting. So for instance, dismissing a symptom uh, or a feeling as just a normal part of aging or on the flip side of that, assuming it's something like cognitive, assuming, assuming that mom's got cognitive impairment, every time she misplaces her keys, or every time dad can't remember a doctor's appointment, we've got Alzheimer's Association on speed dial. So we want to we want to get rid of that those ageist uh, traps that we fall into of overreacting to something or underreacting. So if someone is showing some signs of depression, there's so something the depression? We don't just want to slough it off and go, oh well, they'll feel better tomorrow. Or, oh, maybe the medication will change that. Or, oh, maybe they should talk to the doctor next week or something. Um, What we want to do is we want to acknowledge it and talk about it. And again, on the flip side of that, we don't want to overreact every time we uh, see something that might be an indication of something else. Because how many times have you lost your keys? Or how many times have you forgot your doctor's appointment? Or else, you know, got the time a little wrong. Uh, It happens to all of us. And sometimes it's just not paying attention. Sometimes it's being overloaded. But we've got to remember, too, is an aging brain is different. We've got to recognize what happens with an aging brain. Aging brain doesn't mean you're demented. doesn't mean you have cognitive impairment. An aging brain just means it's slower, slower processing. Sometimes it takes longer time to find the right words. Sometimes it's longer time to find that file cabinet in your brain and get that piece of information. It's there, but it may take longer to find it. Uh, So, you know, again, we have to acknowledge the fact that older brains are different and that we may see or, uh, you know, we may see something and react to it. And our reaction may be an overreaction that may be normal processing for an aging brain. So with that, I guess um, I will close my remarks by sharing with you the motto of the Oklahoma Mental Health and Aging Coalition, which is Recovery has no age limit. Mm. I love
0: that. Karen, thank you so much for such a powerful conversation today. I feel like I have learned so much and kind of at the crux of all of it for me is for those of us who are moving into more of this caregiver role with parents and grandparents, how important it is to, to be a team with them and kind of come alongside them to offer listening, to offer support, and make use of all these tremendous resources that you have shared with us today. Thank you, Karen.
1: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: For our listeners, you can learn more about the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services and resources available at oklahoma.gov slash o-d-m-h-s-a-s And as we discussed, for Oklahoma's mental health lifeline, you can call or text 988 to receive free support for mental health crises or to help prevent a crisis. Operators are licensed and certified health crisis specialists who answer calls, connect to and dispatch local services and mobile crisis teams as needed 24-7. For more information about 988, visit 988Oklahoma.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time for Raising OKC Kids.